She's passionate about telling stories of amazing women who are rocking the world and empowering women to live, love, and thrive. Here's your host, Katherine Gray. Hi, welcome everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Live Love Thrives Women Empowerment Hour brought to you by 360 Karma. And today we have on Dr. Jennifer Lang, who is not only a doctor uh, OBGYN, but also an author, the founder of Buzz Labs, and also the founder of a nonprofit that has opened 80 clinics around the globe to help prevent cervical cancer in underserved uh, countries and places. So please give a warm welcome to Dr. Jennifer Lang. Hi. I, you've done so much. It's like, wow, how did I get everything in there? Uh, there's no grass growing over here. <laughs> Gotta keep going. That's it. Keep that's it. We know all about that. Mm -hmm. um, so let's see, what should we talk about first? Let's talk about your journey to becoming an OBGYN, and then we're going to talk about the nonprofit, and then finally um, this new invention you have that's going to uh, well, Buzz Labs is creating products to help end mm -hmm. sexual violence, mm -hmm. which is huge in this country. We'll talk about some of those statistics. Um, I know I've heard, gosh, more than 25% of students on campuses, women, uh, are subject to rape. And it, it, it's just out of control. And I'm so happy that you're doing something positive toward it. Thank you. Thanks for having me to yeah. talk about these issues. It's really important it that is. we educate and understand what we're dealing with yes. so we can come up with solutions. Yeah, thank and thank goodness for me too. It's really stirred the conversation. And um, I think it's really interesting too that you, um, well, first of all, let's say you're, you immigrated here from Canada. Yeah. I, I'm big on talking about immigration these days and how important it is to bring in people like yeah. yourself that are our talent pool of amazing people in this Wasn't country. Quite immigration because yeah. my mother got yeah. us passports. So okay. I'm a dual citizen. Dual citizen. My mother okay. is from upstate New York. My dad's from Canada. I was born and raised in Canada, but with Passport. But thank God we're letting you in, you know? Oh, I yeah. mean, like, well, <laughs> I better behave you know, myself. They might change exactly. their mind. <laughs> exactly. It's a crazy world we're living yeah. in. So, um, you had shared with me you were actually going to go to school in uh, Canada, McGill, and yeah. then you got an offer that you couldn't refuse. Uh, here at Smith, right? Yeah, yeah so a recruiter came yeah. to my Toronto, you know, large Toronto public school, and we really don't have that kind of private, small liberal arts experience in yeah. Canada. And it just seems so unique. Yeah. Um, you know, I was busy running the women's issues group and all, you know, in my high school. Yeah. So the idea of this hertopia of progressive, you know, feminist, uh, really spoke you know, change to you. makers. I was like, what? Then yeah. I went for a weekend and yeah. visited this idyllic campus with, you know, a paradise pond in the middle. And now, you know, did you know then that you were going to be a doctor? I had a good idea. Okay. Yeah. I, I knew that I was probably going to do the pre-med track. Mm -hmm. um, but once I got to Smith, funny enough, I decided to study literature. I mean, I did pre-med as well, yeah. but I fell in love with their literature classes and decided to be a comparative literature major oh with gosh. Spanish and English. And part of that, I think, had to do with raise, being raised in Canada, which is a bilingual country. Oh. So you study French from you know the earliest grades on up. Right. All official communication from the federal government comes in two languages. When I moved to the States, I realized 
I better learn Spanish. Right. You know, I did. It's like that old joke about what do you call a person that knows two languages bilingual? What do you call a person that knows one language American? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a bad joke, but it's so true. It's changing, though. As our demographics change, you know, there's this wonderful richness. And anyway, so I did my first uh, summer after freshman year at Smith, I went to. Uh, volunteer this program at Bellevue Hospital in New York City. Oh yeah, no in, the, in the emergency department. Yeah, it was. Wait, isn't that where they send all the prisoners? Yeah, their yeah. prisoners came through. I mean, yeah. you saw everything yeah. there. And but I saw that about half the patients spoke Spanish, and oh, so I wow. said, oh, if I want to do medicine in this country, I have to learn Spanish. Right, right. So I, you know, changed my major oh, wow. and started studying Spanish intensively. Ended up. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing some time in Costa Rica and then a semester abroad in Bolivia in oh, La Paz. Oh, wow. How interesting. Yeah, I wrote for the Bolivian Times. These are all these random kind oh of things gosh. that I, I did in my so life. So you have always mm. been this way where you're doing a lot of different things. I like yeah. to stay busy yeah. and I'm a curious person. Yeah. I like to explore. Yeah, yeah, it keeps us stimulated to always be changing sure. and evolving and yeah. growing. Um, so you mm. went to uh, medical school at Albert Einstein yep. in New York. In New York. And... Yeah. Um, I was really drawn there uh, because Vic Seidel uh uh, was faculty at that time. He was the um, recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize in 1989 for his work for Physicians for Social Responsibility. Wow. And so they addressed the issue of nuclear war, gun violence, climate change, and persistent organic pollutants were kind of the four main issues. And I was really drawn to the school. It had a bit of a... um, how should I say this? Um, it had a history of being on the edge of progressive, you know, right. change. Um, and then you won an, a, the dean's award there, right, for the most promising in the future of medicine, which is so <laughs> that interesting was, that you're doing, you know, futuristic things toward all. That. I didn't think of it that yeah. way, but yeah, yeah, I mean, my they saw something in you back then. Maybe they yeah. did. Yeah. I loved my time there. Yeah. You know, the Bronx was a fascinating uh, borough to be in because as real estate went nuts in Manhattan, no one could afford to move there. Yeah. So people were coming from all over the world to right. the Bronx. Right. So right. I got to see leprosy, malaria, and oh pregnancy. You know, just wow. it, it was really. I didn't even know yeah. leprosy existed then. It still does. Wow. Yeah, it still I did does not in know pockets that. around the world, but you wouldn't wow. know it because we don't see a lot of it in America, wow. except wow. in the Bronx. Wow, at wow, that that's time. interesting. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be so, dining there. Yeah. Um, so uh, after that, you mm-hmm. did a fellowship at uh, UCLA. You came back here. No, so then I did a residency in OBGYN. Right. Yeah, school just goes on and on. Just goes on and and on and on. I mean, I've done more school than care to admit. So a four-year residency in OBGYN. And that was still in New York. In New York, yeah. Yeah, and and that's when you had your first child, was it? No. No, no. No. (laughs) No, okay. And then so that was uh, four years to become an obstetrician gynecologist. So that's (laughs) delivering babies and doing benign. I knew there was a baby in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, benign, um, you know, hysterectomies and those kinds of... uh, And what what drew you to being an OBGYN? You know... Yeah, what what was that draw? Well, you know, I grew up on a farm in Canada. Yeah. And my father was one of the first cattlemen. It's funny because I'm a vegan now. Yeah. But 
uh, to be doing in vitro fertilization with cattle. You're kidding. Yeah, so from a very oh young age, I was very aware of reproduction oh, and, wow. and the systems and the technologies and managing it and, you know, watching the calves be born every spring and all of that. So I think there was some of that. However, when I was a medical student at Einstein, I had the chance to rotate um, through the cancer surgery, so gynecologic oncology, and I was inspired by, talking about inspiring women, I was was mentored by um, the first female president of the Society for Gynecologic Oncology, Wow! uh, one of the first female presidents of... um, ASCO, American Society of Clinical Oncology, just a powerhouse in the field. And um, I really admired her, and I I want to be like her. I also really related to the patient population we were working with. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother's uh, family is of Ashkenazi Jewish background, and there's this gene mutation called BRCA, BRCA1 and 2, which is quite high, about yes. 1 in 40 carrier rates in Ashkenazi Jews, oh and it leads to an elevated risk for developing ovarian cancer. Right. So I was meeting all of these women on the wards who mm-hmm. really reminded me of my mother, my, right. my aunt, my grandmother, right. and um, I was just very moved by that experience. And wanted to help. And wanted to help, yeah. yeah. I also enjoyed doing surgery very much. Wow. So... I took, but the path to that is OBGYN first and then gynecologic oncology fellowship. So that's what brought me to LA. I see. And that's when you did your fellowship at UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. UCLA and Cedars had a joint fellowship program at that time. So I moved between the hospitals. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And then you decided to give that practice up eventually after a long time uh, and start uh, this to head up this nonprofit. Well, so um, I had a colleague um, who was a physician of radiation oncology, and we were working at a cancer center together, and she had had a very impactful uh, visit to Senegal, where she had been trying to deliver a radiation linear accelerator to give radiation, because we actually have more... Uh, linear accelerators on a several block strip of Wilshire Boulevard here in LA than they did at that time on the entire continent of Africa. Okay, so, so it, now yeah. people might not know what that is. Oh, okay. I might be those people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, no problem. So uh, you've heard of radiation therapy for yes, cancer. Right. Yeah, so you need a machine to okay. deliver the dose of radiation. Got it. And so, so they don't have works. those uh, very prevalent in other countries. That's right. In resource-poor countries, they're very expensive machines not only to, you know, attain but Mm -hmm. to maintain. Mm -hmm. And so many of the machines that are out there are not even serviced properly or developing very specific doses, which is essential with radiation therapy. Yeah. Um, So anyway, she was there, and while they were waiting for the machine to arrive, because, you know, the the problems of trying to transport equipment across borders, very difficult. She had this experience of just doing some screening in a population, discovering all of these women, cervical screening. Pardon me, I yeah. forgot to mention this. Yeah. And discovering all of these women that had pre-invasive cervical lesions. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, that's where you want to do the intervention before right. you develop right. advanced cancer. Right. And then you have to, you know, travel across five countries to get to one of these machines right. with a six-month waiting list that might not even be giving you the right dose. So then you all thought, 
how can we help change this? That's right. So we planned wow. a trip to uh, Ethiopia for mm-hmm. the following spring, mm-hmm. and we went there with the intention of you know bringing some equipment. Uh, screening women, treating them there, and right. leaving. You know, right. we thought we could. We could. Yeah. There's a 90% cure rate with this. You know, 11 minute procedure, same day wow. visit. It's it's remarkable. Wow, so that we, is we remarkable. could help a lot of people. And what happened was we had the good luck to uh, arrive at a teaching hospital in McKelly. Um, called Eider Teaching Hospital. And there were medical students, residents, you know, nurses who were excellent, highly skilled, learned how to do these, you know, techniques. And right. within a, several days of seeing and treating patients, right. we, we, Dr. Gordon and I looked at each other and we said, right. you know, this needs to be a sustainable model. We need right. to rethink this whole thing. Right. right. So, um, on the airplane back from that trip, on the back of a vomit bag, oh <laughs> I actually just drew up this model for what I called the clinic in a suitcase, yeah. and which was how to package all of the equipment that would be needed to see and treat, you know, X number of women, but with the intention of bringing this rolling suitcase so you don't have to ship things oh. and that get stuck in customs, but you just roll the suitcase right with wow, you. that's brilliant. And you can uh, take volunteer trainers Mm -hmm. and set up a large training program at a central location, train and certify local Mm -hmm. healthcare professionals, leave the equipment and, you know, it's a uh, a mass scale. Now this is for the preventive cervical cancer. Yes. Yeah, so Not to treat the cancer itself. Right. So right. we're lucky with cervical cancer. I, I It sounds crazy to even say that, but it is, I mean, it is one of the most lethal prevalent kinds of cancer really? uh, to affect globally, globally, yes. not in America, that right. affects women of reproductive age. Right. Um, so when you do the preventive, yeah. let's say you see that they're susceptible to it happening, yeah. then what is the next step? How do you prevent it? Yeah, so there is about a, so cervical cancer, almost all of it is caused by the HPV virus. And we now have a vaccine for that. Right. Which is really important that boys, girls, young men, young women get vaccinated because globally this is a massive issue and it's preventable. Mm -hmm. So um, you have about a 10-year window from the time you're exposed to the virus before it becomes, wow. frankly, invasive cancer. Wow. Any time during that 10-year window, a single screening visit can reduce a woman's risk of dying of cancer by half. So oh, so, so they mm-hmm. then take the uh, so, so the, what you the do, shot? No. Oh, no. So you have what? to give the vaccine ahead of being exposed. Got it. So what we were doing, and now there are, you know, some... Uh, alternative methods as well but what we were doing is just spraying vinegar Uh waiting 60 seconds then shining a white light like a flashlight onto the cervix right and pre-cancerous cells show up white like this right and so you can train people to recognize those changes and then offer an immediate we're using cryotherapy which is just carbon dioxide gas to freeze creates an ice ball and destroy those cells and wow. a 90% cure rate, single visit. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And so, you guys ended up doing this in 80, creating 80 clinics around the world in uh, these- Multiple low, countries, low yeah, Asia, areas. the Caribbean, wow. Africa. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. And it's it's still going. So wow. well over 100,000 women have now come through our clinics. That's and, incredible. Um, 
you know, the results are reported monthly, so we're keeping track of data. Anyway, so that was a wonderful experience in the nonprofit world that I had. Right. And, and, I, and, mm-hmm. and we were talking about things are moving in a direction from nonprofit to this, like, socially uh profitable type of businesses that are for the greater good and how and why those are more sustainable yeah right and it's a it's a great conversation in fact it could be a whole show about Mm -hmm. you know how and why people are starting to move in that direction Mm because so many charities are struggling and want needing grants and need funding but these ones that are socially responsible profit Uh, profitable businesses are actually the ones that are doing the most good in the world. And so let's talk about that because now that's your new venture, which is Buzz Labs. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, you, you really hit, you know, hit it because I believe that if um, you are bringing a service that adds real value, you know, that it uh, is going to be most impactful if it is financially sustainable business model. Right. And that we can affect the largest uh, impact of change mm-hmm. um, when we, we combine profit and purpose. Right. And, you know, many people have spoken about this, written about this. There's this old sense that it you either you have to choose one or the other. Right. It's like you can have a mission or you can have a real profit. business. Right. That's just a complete false, right. you know, um, uh, yes. assumption. It's so wonderful now that it's coming together and being uh, socially acceptable or, uh, you know, just culturally acceptable for yeah. to marry the two. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's necessary. And, and it makes sense. Yeah. 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 And it makes yeah. sense and for it to be sustainable. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, um, you know, I, I think that as a gynecologist, I myself am also a survivor of mm-hmm. sexual assault, but also as a gynecologist, I had witnessed through my career, mm-hmm. you know, so many cases too many cases and then right. doing the international work again I can't um, even imagine it's it's mind-blowing yeah so uh, I was actually at a conference and I was presenting about the work of the nonprofit and it was a conference for women investing in women so the mm-hmm. audience was filled with you know VCs and tech entrepreneurs right. and you know people were really creative and really passionate right. about change right. in, in the world right and uh, the keynote speaker this is just before me too kind of mm-hmm. the the second wave of me too hit in uh, um, 2017, the keynote speaker got up and told her own assault story. I thought she was incredibly brave to right, do that. Right. And um, it involves incapacitation assault. So that means that a drug or an alcohol mm-hmm. is given to someone, and mm-hmm. it's not always a woman. So, you know, men right. are assaulted as well. And right. in fact, we need to be talking more about right. that to destigmatize right. so that men feel as comfortable coming forward, reporting, and getting help. Absolutely. Um, but so somebody is given an intoxicating substance mm-hmm. either uh, against their will if it's, yeah. you know, slipped into a drink. Right. Or, you know, the the elephant in the room is voluntary incapacitation, which right. is essentially known as binge drinking. Right, right. Or, yeah. you know, 90% of the social think, scene at most colleges. Yeah, I think so, almost everybody's done it at once in right. their life. Yeah. yeah. So, for instance, if you've ever had a night that's a little fuzzy or you can't remember, right. that is an example of 
if you as long as you drink voluntarily right, voluntary right. incapacitation right so your level of consciousness was yeah. affected to yeah. the point where your brain could not form new memories right and so that mm-hmm. brings us to yeah why you created this new product yes. and it's going to be one of many products uh that's a bracelet yes that you and your circle of friends wears to keep tabs on each other mm-hmm. if you, you, and it measures your alcohol level or how does it work? Yeah, so, you know, it comes down to this essential issue. How do you know when someone lacks the capacity to mm-hmm. give consent to sex? Right. How do you know when someone is just too drunk? Right. Right now, we don't. We're right. guessing. Yes. And that's not a good place to be. Right. And we don't need to be right. because we have the technology. Yes. And so what um, what I've developed is a it's called the Buzz Band. Right. And it performs continuous transdermal blood alcohol content monitoring. Right. Using a near infrared sensor, so it's real time, and it, and it works with an app. Is it? Yes. Yeah. So um, you you just put the band on before you go out for the evening. You have in the app entered a circle of friends. Who right. you trust. A band of friends. That's right. <laughs> I'll have to credit you for I'm going to use that. Yeah. And when your blood alcohol enters yeah. what we're calling the red zone, right. so this is where that level of consciousness is impacted, new memory formation is impaired, Yes. Um, you don't have to do anything. And that's right. actually a really important part of the system right. is that it passively, you just have it on your wrist. Yeah. Buddy it's, system. And because we all know the first thing that goes out the window is your judgment yes. about what you should do right. or not do. Right. So um, when you enter this zone, your friends get an alert. They don't have to be wearing a band. They just right. have to have the app in their phone. Right. And they know with a GPS located beacon where you are. And wow. they know to check in on you. Make wow. sure you get home safe. Wow. You know? And have you mm-hmm. tested this out? Like... Uh, only the it, idea of it. it yes. So I'm early stage early right stage, now. And you just got a grant, right? Or uh, you're working on a grant? Yes. So okay. I'm in my first fundraising round, right. uh, okay, which is cool. an angel round. Yeah. And um, meeting with so many fascinating, passionate investors yeah. who really understand the scope of this problem. And as you mentioned before, the statistics are yeah. devastating. Yes. You know, yes. uh, Columbia University um, released a study showing 28% of undergraduate mm-hmm. females yeah. reported uh, experiencing assault within their four years on campus. Right. So this is just This would really be great for the campus girls, like, yes. you know, for a sorority of girls to all wear them. And, and fraternity yeah. brothers. And fraternity brothers. Because, yep. Yep. because Both, yeah. they need to watch out for each other yes. just as well. Right. If one of them goes red zone, he's going to be less sensitive to receiving cues from right. a woman. Now, how um, sensitive is it? Do they have to be like obliterated or just a little tipsy? Well, no, because, you know, I'm not saying don't drink and have sex. Right. That would be ridiculous. Right. Nobody would, you know. Right. But this is if somebody's, like, past the... Yes, this yeah. is somebody's level of consciousness. Right. Is, it's significantly that's, impaired. That's typically when these assaults happen. Yes. Yeah. About 70% yeah. of the time, this right. is when they happen. Right. So, so this is not going to prevent all sexual assault on campus, but it could really reduce, right. significantly reduce. And I would think besides this product, it sounds like Buzz Labs is looking for other ideas that help Absolutely. prevent or end sexual violence. So uh, where would people find you? I believe your website's up for our podcast listeners it's buzzlabs.co uh, that's my email but uh, oh, get oh. buzzband.co oh. 
Mm-hmm. buzzband.co correct yes. okay because i want them to know where to find you yes yeah. yes and um or contact me directly jennifer yeah. at buzzlabs.co jennifer um, at e- buzzlabs.co correct yeah. yeah dr jennifer lang you're doing some great work uh yeah, you've you. done amazing work and obviously you're continuing to do incredible uh, work thank you um always thinking out of the box and making things that are interesting and innovative and uh, I think you're on to something with this Buzz Labs. Thank you so much. Yeah. Such a pleasure. So, so you. nice to have you. Um, you. I appreciate you being on. I appreciate the great work that you're doing. Uh, I hope our listeners will listen out, uh, look out for all the products coming from Buzz Labs. And uh, maybe you're an investor wanting to invest in something like this uh, for your kids' sake and um, just for making the world a little safer place, right? Thank you. That's the idea. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you same time next week. Make it a great week. Hugs and happiness.